This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. Glad you're with me. It's the Danny Mac podcast, courtesy of the Bet Rivers podcast network. As we preview week five of this 2022 NFL season, the Bears and Vikings Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium. And boy, an unexpected treat for me. I just discovered a few hours ago after sifting through all of the highlights and plenty of lowlights from Thursday night's game in Denver between the Colts and Broncos. Oh, do we have a treat coming Sunday if you like the movie Rounders. More on that when I get to the Bears and Vikings. And I think I have for you what I might be willing to call come kickoff Sunday night the play of the year in the National Football League when it comes to the point spread. And I come in kind of hot. I had a good week last week. It was capped off by a 49ers win Monday night, and then last night started in delicious fashion for me. As I picked the under in Colts and Broncos, (laughs) if I remember correctly, the total was 41 and a half, and I went under, and neither team scored a touchdown in almost 70 minutes of football. You play the extra session, and still neither team has found the taste of the sweet nectar of the end zone, as uh, Mitch would say. Mitch Mitch Holtus, I believe his name is, the veteran voice of Kansas City Chiefs football. Tyreek Hill tasting the sweet nectar of the end zone. Not this year for the Chiefs, but I digress. It was, from all accounts, one of the worst games you will see this year. It's 12-9, and the Colts win again. They're 2-2-1 two, two, and one on the season. They have salvaged their season, and maybe they will come back and win the AFC South. They were favored to do so, but it was a bumpy start for, for Indianapolis beginning opening day by settling for a tie against the dreadful Houston Texans, emerging as the biggest punching bag in the NFL. But the Colts muscle out a win, 12-9, field goal fest city, And there is a larger picture here at play with both teams' quarterbacks that I want to get into in depth. And I'm glad I waited the extra few hours to drop this week's podcast because this was the angle I wanted to take. If what I had seen through the first uh, four weeks of the season was any indication, um, there was... A script I had in mind, and when I say script, I'm saying it figuratively. I don't write much of this stuff out. I just put a few notes down that I I thought would make sense, and that is the continued deterioration 
of the play of Russell Wilson, who was signed this past offseason to a contract that guarantees him $165 million. Total value of the deal he got from the Broncos, I believe, was two thirty-five, but one sixty-five of that is guaranteed. And if you're the general manager of the Broncos right now, George Payton, you have got to be spending all of your nights sleeplessly because early in Payton's career as the Broncos general manager, he has made some huge mistakes. Now, he homered last year in the draft with Javante Williams, the running back out of North Carolina. But Williams is gone for the season. And, oh, my God, is the head coach looking like a boob on stilts. My God, Nathaniel Hackett, what are you doing? It was so reminiscent reminiscent of when Wilson should have won his second Super Bowl. Granted, it wasn't goal line. It was fourth and short from the six. And Nathaniel Hackett has Russell Wilson throw the ball instead of just running the ball. And I know they've had issues with Melvin Gordon not hanging on to the ball. But for Christ's sake, you need inches. And Richard Sherman on the postgame show on Amazon Prime just gave it to the Broncos. It reminded him so much of Pete Carroll and Daryl Bevel not giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch in that Super Bowl loss to New England, instead throwing the quick in that was intercepted by Malcolm Butler and changed the the winner of the game. It changed the total. It changed everything, including those of us who had prop bets on Russell Wilson to throw at least one interception in that Super Bowl. The total was a half. All he's got to do is throw one pick. Well, Wilson makes it through that game without throwing a pick until they've got the ball at the goal line and decide not to give it to the Skittles-munching beast. Uh, who was Marshawn Lynch, who I think probably would have scored that touchdown. Biggest Super Bowl blunder coaching-wise in the history of games with Roman numerals on them. But uh, back to last night's action and back to what this year is becoming for Peyton's Broncos. Not only did Nathaniel Hackett spit the bit on that call, there were decisions he made earlier in the season that had some people wondering how long it's going to take him to lose his locker room. He's got no confidence in his team in short yardage, and he did it again last night. And this guy, I'm not a coach killer historically, but Nathaniel Hackett is starting to build a resume that could result in him being a one-and-done. Very rarely. Is that the case in the NFL where you'll you'll pull the plug on a guy after one year? Steve Wilkes got it in Arizona a few years ago. And uh, he was a defensive-minded coach, and they decided to go in another direction and continue to draft quarterbacks high. So they decided to go with Cliff Kingsbury, who had a questionable record as a college coach offensively. Couldn't win consistently with Patrick Mahomes. But... Uh, Nathaniel Hackett has made some terrible decisions and it is costing the Broncos deeply. And Wilson was coming in off of his best game of the year uh, against the Raiders. They lost to the Raiders in Vegas last week, but Wilson finally put together numbers that are more representative of his 10-year career in Seattle. 
And I don't think I have, I know I have not given enough credit to Wilson for what he did with the Seahawks. Ten years there. He concludes that decade as one of just four quarterbacks in NFL history with a career rating of more than 100. That's that's impressive. It is impressive for a guy who's barely 5'11 and a third-round draft pick, a guy who didn't stick at his first college choice, North Carolina State. He moves on to Wisconsin, and he does good things there. But he's not thought of as a, a highly regarded pro prospect because he's vertically challenged. He's five ten and a half, five and five eleven, and I don't even—I don't think he's even five ten and a half. I stood next to Russell Wilson, uh, right across from him at the Super Bowl in New Orleans, the Harbaugh Bowl years ago, right after his career launched with Seattle, and uh, he made an immediate impact in the league. He takes the Seahawks to a Super Bowl; they win their first one, and then the terrible coaching decisions that cost him a second Super Bowl, but he always is going to be remembered in Seattle as the guy who should have won too. Matt Ryan, the Colts quarterback, is a guy who always will be remembered as a guy who should have won one, but his team choked in the biggest game in franchise history and blew a freaking 25-point lead to Brady's Patriots in Super Bowl 51. But but back to the Broncos, and I, I, I thought about the loss of Javante Williams before the game, and I thought of a Broncos team from years past that really gained my respect and anybody who was paying attention that year. Terrell Davis was banged up pretty bad at the end of his career. In addition to the migraines, he had a knee problem. He was a tremendous running back when running backs were valued by franchises in the NFL. And he got hurt in 99 and Olandis Gary stepped in and had a monster year on in relief of the hall of fame bound San Diego native Davis. Gary rushed for almost 1200 yards. He had seven touchdowns. He had an average of 4.2 yards per rush he was tremendous. And then when the doll or the, the Broncos kick off the 0-0 season, they lose Gary on Monday Night Football. Their very first game of the year, I believe it was against the St. Louis Rams. The Rams beat him in that game. Gary goes out with a knee injury. He's gone for the year. And so where does Mike Shanahan go? What do we, he huddles with Gary Kubiak, his offensive coordinator, and they're like, okay, where do we go from here? They had drafted a kid from Utah named Mike Anderson. And I saw Anderson play in his team's bowl game, and he rushed for something like 250 yards. He was a 25-year-old senior who had done a tour in the military. He didn't go to college right away. He was already in a man body. He was a huge dude, big and powerful. And even though it was just a no-nothing bowl game played on the 27th-ish of December that year, I, I, I remember being very impressed with him. So I looked at that Denver offensive line and just just full of studs, tackle to tackle, 
So I said, I'm going to roll dice on Mike Anderson for my fantasy football team. And that was the year the Vicodins set a record for disparity. Yes, that was my team name in 0-0. I was the Vicodans, and we, we, we won the league easily. And it was because of making shrewd moves like that and going after Mike Anderson after the Monday night loss to the Rams. And Anderson rushed for 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns in his first year in the league. George Payton does not have that guy. And he doesn't have those guys up front who are, who are making Terrell Davis's path to the Hall of Fame easier and making Olandis Gary an offensive rookie of the year candidate as a first-year player, helping Mike Anderson. They don't have those guys. You can't trust Gordon not to lay it down. And the Broncos are in a world of hurt, and they have committed way too much money to Russell Wilson, who's 33. And I'm wondering if Wilson, who was tracking for the Hall of Fame, is going to wind up playing his way out of consideration for Canton. As much as I didn't give him enough credit, I'm willing to now push back a little bit and say, yeah, his numbers with the Seahawks were so remarkable, he is absolutely worthy of the conversation of Hall of Fame. Uh, Not his fault he didn't win two Super Bowls. Now, Eli Manning won two and won two Super Bowl MVPs. People don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame either. But Russell Wilson orchestrated so many dramatic comebacks for the Seahawks in his 10 years there. He was a terrific player. But his second act is off to an absolutely disastrous start. In five games, Wilson has completed only four. 59.4% of his passes, four touchdowns only, three interceptions. He has a rating on the season of 82.8 after his team's loss to Indianapolis last night. 7.4 yards per attempt is the lowest yards per attempt since 2017 for Wilson. In the first half last night, he was 9 out of 17 for 69 yards. He didn't throw a touchdown pass, obviously. They didn't score any touchdowns in the entire game through two picks. And his rating was 54 and change last night. He vowed to redeem himself after the game. And this is something Russell Wilson does very well. He spins things very well. He makes people feel good. He made his general manager feel so good in a few weeks of hanging around the facility. They guaranteed him $165 million. Wilson says last night after the game, and it was a long time before he finally addressed questions and uh, took accountability for his actions, and he still was in uniform. I wonder what those conversations in the Broncos dressing room were like before he finally answered questions. He said, I've got to be better. I've got to play better. Throwing two interceptions can't happen. I let the team down. Nobody disagreed with Wilson on any of those observations. He says, I don't know any other way to do it but to keep banging away. I'm always going to choose to understand that adversity is temporary. Start printing the T-shirts now in Denver. Adversity is temporary. It is true, especially if you love locker room posters. Things that go on bumper stickers. Success isn't final. Failure 
isn't fatal. Those things are true. And you could stitch them on a pillow if you like. Russell Wilson led the NFL in touchdown passes just five years ago. 34 TD passes in the 2017 season. In 2015, his season rating was 110.1. That was the best in the NFL. And again, just uh, just four guys in NFL history have had a passer rating of more than 100 for their career. You know who escapes the wrath of the nation tonight and all weekend? It's Colts quarterback Matt Ryan. Here is another guy, and I wouldn't say he was he was on track to be in the Hall of Fame, but he was on track to be regarded as one of the best quarterbacks in his era, and that has gone away big time. Ryan is going to be best known for his team's 25-point lead blown when Brady won his unprecedented fourth Super Bowl MVP trophy, NRG Stadium uh, in Houston. It was Ryan's ninth year in the NFL. He had an MVP season in 2016. His numbers were crazy good that year. But he had no help behind him last night with Jonathan Taylor out. And Naheem Hines gets concussed early in the game. Uh, setting the stage for Philip Lindsay in a return to Denver. Lindsay and Deion Jackson collaborated on 24 rushes for Indianapolis last night, but they had nothing going, and Matt Ryan was supposed to be the guy who was going to turn this around. Everything Carson Wentz wasn't last year, Ryan was going to be this year for the horseshoes. It isn't happening. He's played the extra game, so someone will probably jump over him over the weekend. But right now, Ryan's seven interceptions are the most in the NFL. He is not going to be a candidate for Pro Football's Hall of Fame. Matt Ryan has fallen and fallen precipitously. Again, that lead they blew to the Patriots, historic. And it's not all him. Dan Quinn, the head coach of the Falcons at the time, wasn't paying attention enough, apparently, to grab Kyle Shanahan, the play caller, by the, the, the nape of his neck. I love that expression. And say, what are we doing here? Run the goddamn ball. We're protecting a 25-point lead against the greatest player in the game's history, or certainly one of. I don't know if if anybody had decided uh, seven or eight years ago that Brady already attained that. We know he has now, but you, you, you run the ball. And they had running backs. They had Devonta Freeman, and they had Tevin Coleman. And they're throwing incomplete passes, and that's stopping the clock. And it's giving Tom Brady possessions after punts. And Atlanta did what it could to pressure Brady, uh, Grady Jackson, the defensive tackle, tied a Super Bowl record set by Reggie White, most sacks in a game with three. But they kept giving him chances, and it was the the wheel route. He was throwing uh, to James White, who had 14 catches in the game, and then he had clutch catches from some of his guys who were not household names. Brady made a career of doing that in uh, New England. And... You look at the other side, there's there's Ryan who's had Julio Jones and a bunch of other big-name targets 
to spread the ball around to, and they can't protect a 25-point lead. I didn't know this game was like is, is now going to be regarded as one of the great nickname games, you know, like the Ice Bowl, Packers over the Cowboys in the 60s, the Fog Bowl at Soldier Field, New Year's Eve of 89, New Year's Eve of 88, sorry, New Year's Eve 88, Bears over the Eagles, the Immaculate Reception game, the Sea of Hands. We now have 28-3. to Brady throws for 466 yards. That's a record in a Super Bowl. 43 completions, a record. 62 attempts, a record. Four MVPs, a record. Matt Ryan will never sniff a Super Bowl with Indianapolis. I feel pretty safe in assuring you that. And even without Taylor, uh, it, it was a pathetic effort by the Indianapolis offense last night. This is a team that knew it was challenged at the skilled positions in the offseason with only Michael Pittman as a real threat as a receiver. And he's not a one. He's what Darnay Scott was to Carl Pickens in Cincinnati years ago. The Colts offense was anemic, and uh, Matt Ryan eludes the wrath of Colts Nation probably today because they escape with a win. But any any fan of of the Colts right now has to be scratching his head and wondering, man, I I just don't know if if they're going to be able to take that next step. Maybe they muscle out the AFC South, but with Matt Ryan at the wheel, not been a good start for either of these guys in their new locations. And that is a huge story to me, how both Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan have fallen so precipitously um, from being great quarterbacks. They're, they're, They're nowhere near the best 15 in the league anymore. And this is a league that, you know, has Kenny Pickett starting games. And previously, Mitch Trubisky and Jacoby Brissett and a rejuvenated Joe Flacco for the first few weeks of the Jets season. Wilson and and Hackett are going to be the undoing, likely, of George Payton as the uh, as the general manager of the Broncos. And I never have seen a game in Denver. I stupidly never took. Um, the invitation up, uh, an invitation that was extended to me by Howard Griffith, former Illini star, Chicago kid who played fullback for the Broncos on their two Super Bowl teams, invited me out to Mile High years ago. He said, man, I'll get you tickets. Come on out here and see a game. I never did. Uh, I had only you know, flown through Denver before until a couple of years ago when uh, in back-to-back years, the pandemic summer of 2020, and then the next year I actually drove to Phoenix with my son Patrick to visit his uh, his beloved uncle Mike, my little brother. And when you drive by that stadium, you can just feel the tradition and the history um of the Orange Crush defense of Elway and and his quest to finally capture pro football's holy grail and he did it two years consecutively. And Broncos fans now are saddled with this steaming pile. I don't I don't envy a Broncos fan today. And if you're on the radio in Denver, 
It is going to be a fun day. Just keep calls to a minimum because they very rarely add anything to programming. Which leads me to the Bears and Vikings. How much did you consume this week of, of Bears yak in Chicago sports talk? Did you enjoy assessing with the hosts and callers and contributors how confident Justin Fields appears when he stands on the podium at the lectern and he addresses questions about his miserable first four games of the season. Is that fun for you to to assess confidence levels? Where is he on the confidence meter right now? Didn't sound too confident. That explanation sounded terribly generic, and he was just talking in football speak and giving me word salad. Didn't really say. Okay, let's 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 take a break from that and talk about the guys. The White Sox might hire to replace Tony LaRussa and what all of their strengths and weaknesses are. Man, it is good to take a nice several-day break from the yak and come back when something something is more substantive. You can sink your teeth into something. And I got another reason to be stoked for Bears and Vikings Sunday as Kevin O'Connell tries to notch another win in the belt and push the Vikings to 4-1, and one, keeping pace with Green Bay in the NFC North. Mark Schlereth is doing the game on Fox. We finally get a day with Schlereth. And I love my days with Stink. He's going to quote rounders for you. He might break into an ACDC riff. And he's a guy who understands what happens in the trenches, and very few of them do. I'll get Schlereth doing Bears and Vikings while Tony Romo is on CBS doing the Steelers game. Um, Geez, where are the Steelers? They're 14-point underdogs this week, and that's the national game against the Bills. So that's where Romo will go so he can tell you what jersey number Cameron Hayward wears. That's that's how he preps for each defense. Give me a jersey number, and I'll say, fill in the blank, they have to worry about this guy. This is the guy uh, offensive coordinators are scheming against. And he, he picks out one guy, and he checks that off his list, and he's done for the freaking day. That's Tony Romo and his $18 million a year. I would rather hear Schlereth talk about line play, talk about how defensive tackles keep their shoulders square to the line of scrimmage and, and, and move down the line, forcing yeah, – he understands the damn game in the trenches, and not many guys do that. And he also played in an era when your number one ability had to be availability. That's not been the case for Bears' second year, I'm sorry, third year corner now, Jalen Johnson. When, when are you going to make a difference? He's, he's, this is going to be the third game he misses likely with a quad injury. How freaking hurt is your quad? The Bears are forced to play first year players at corner, at, at slot coverage guy, you know, in Kyler Gordon. Number nine and number six are just getting torched every week. And opposing offenses see that when they look at the damn games and they say, man, we got to pick on this guy, Brisker. He doesn't move very well in, in, in cover two, whatever the case may be. They're going to find those guys. And if you don't think Kevin O'Connell, the head coach of the Vikings, isn't circling six and nine every time he looks at Bears tape from the first four games, and you don't know how it works because they are going to get Justin Jefferson off in this game. Minnesota has won three of the last four meetings against the Bears. The Vikings have covered five of their last six. 
the Bears have failed to cover in five of their last six road games. They're getting seven and a half right now. And typically after a week in London, which is where the Vikings were last Sunday, eking out a 28 to 25 win over the Saints, largely due to some doinkage late. They got a break on a field goal that, that didn't go. Teams play Logie when they come back from that, that trip. Defenses seem to be a step late. They miss more tackles. They get tired and lose gap integrity. There's a hangover from taking that trip to the UK. If that's all you've got to, to build a case for the Bears or any other team, don't do it. Minnesota is strong where the Bears aren't. Dalvin Cook should have some huge runs against a Bears defense that has allowed 733 rushing yards in four games. That's by far the most in the NFL. That's almost 50 yards more than the Texans have given up in the same number of games. The Lions are are, are in the in the team photo here for worst rush defenses at 662, and Seattle has given up more than 600 yards. But the Bears are the only team more than 700. Uh, there's only a few teams that average that give up more average yards per carry. Detroit, the Chargers, the Texans, the Bears are giving up 5.1 yards per carry. Cook is going to get off in week five. He's got 279 rushing yards first four games. That ranks him 13th in the league, a league being led by Saquon Barkley, who's been amazing. Nick Chubb is second, and Miles Sanders right now is third. I'm wondering how many guys Dalvin Cook leapfrogs Sunday against that Bears' porous defense. All he needs is 50 to jump past Jonathan Taylor, who didn't play last night. He needs 39 yards to move ahead of Khalil Herbert of the Bears. And there is some hope David Montgomery will play. He practiced Thursday, limited in practice, still nursing that bad ankle. But if Jalen Johnson doesn't go, and it's not likely he will, that puts those young Bears DBs on an island against Justin Jefferson and other targets. Adam Thielen has become another guy. I don't know where he went. I know there were people in Vikings camp last year, uh, in Vikings insiders, who thought he should have been out there way earlier than he was, that he was he was making business decisions, choosing not to suit up. Your number one of, uh, ability should be your availability, unless you're concussed. He's got a quad. Jalen Johnson is battling a quad injury, and he's going to miss three straight games. This is a guy who spent August telling people he's one of the best corners in the league, even though he only had one interception in his career going in. Uh, people know I'm one of the best corners. People know who I am. I just don't rack up gaudy stats. A lot of good corners don't. <laughs> they, they get noticed, though, and they create turnovers as well. And he hasn't done enough of that in his career. And he's flapping gums talking about being among the best at his position. That's that's garbage. That's a bunch of shit. No way, no how. And Roquan Smith was bad last week after coming back in week three with a nice game against Houston. What the Giants did was very simple. They They ran play action to the short side of the field and Nine defenders go with 
Saquon Barkley, who gets real small and hides behind the offensive line. And Daniel Jones, who's not a very good quarterback, makes good ball fakes. And he would bootleg. And you have the tight end, Mike Bellinger, wide open. If the Giants chose to throw the ball 40 times this past Sunday against the Bears, Daniel Jones would have been among the league's higher passers yardage-wise. Uh, in week four, because that was there all day. They way overcommitted to Barkley. I understand he's, he's, he's great, but you're going to have, you can't, you can't get sucked in like that and lose contain. And once you see it once or twice, wake the F up and defend it. They did a little bit better job in the second half, but that was, that was dreadful. And if, if Barkley can do it, Soak in the combination of Cook and Alexander Madison. I think the Vikings are going to cruise Sunday. And I can't wait to hear Mark Schlereth talk about it. Stink. The Idaho star. I had a chance to to meet him at a Pro Bowl years ago when I took my my show, the Mac Yurko and Harry show on ESPN 1000, I think this was, I know when this was, it was February of 06, February 06, uh, right after coverage of Super Bowl 40 in Detroit, we took off to go to Honolulu for a grueling week of Pro Bowl shows, and Mark Schlereth at ESPN then stopped by our set um, in the Hilton Hawaiian Village with his dad, and I love talking with his dad about you know his, his son's struggle to get Division I schools to notice him coming from Alaska, and uh, his battle to, to be an NFL great is, is, is a great story. And uh, I look forward to visiting with him on an upcoming show. And another thing we're going to talk about is the, the Neanderthal gene, and this is related to the August retirement of Richie Incognito. Incognito probably best known as a dolphin and not for great things he did on the field. And he did some amazing things as a player, as a Ram, and, and as a dolphin as well. But most of his, the better part of his career was in a Rams uniform. He had the audacity to insult a young rookie tackle in training camp. Oh, my goodness. He has been hazing a rookie. He's been making life, life difficult on a first-year player. And when some of what he did to Jonathan Martin was exposed. People behind microphones screamed and yelled, and they said, how can this be? They said that this past spring when Olin Krutz, borderline Hall of Fame center for the Bears, put his hands around the throat of a co-worker. How in the world can you let that? Well, you don't let this happen. He lost his gigs. But people who didn't understand why these things happen. Now, Cruz is in the business world. You can't do that. But what you're doing with Olin is un, you're untraining him. You, you are getting him to just completely forget about the first, the last 25 years of his life, what he was rewarded to be rough on people. Leadership takes on different levels in an NFL locker room or even a college and high school locker room. And Kruitz was a leader his entire career, and he was conditioned to being a bad MFer. That's what those guys do. And, and people who talk about sports for a living uh, in 2012 or 2013, whenever it was when Incognito and Jonathan Martin's story was raging, 
I, I couldn't believe some of the things I heard coming out of these guys' mouths. So Schlereth is going to join me on an upcoming uh, upcoming uh, issue of uh, edition, I should say, of the Danny Mac podcast. Look forward to that. All right, this might be my play of the year. The Bengals are playing the Ravens Sunday night. The Ravens now are three-and-a-half-point favorites. These are not the Ravens many of us came to love 20-plus years ago. The Ray Lewis Ravens, those Ravens that burned villages down and, and eviscerated opponents in rude fashion. The 2000 Ravens who buried the Giants in Raymond James Stadium in Super Bowl 35. These Ravens have a bunch of old players whose best days are well behind them. They've got some pretty big names on that Baltimore defense. Calais Campbell, Justin Houston, and the cornerback Marcus Peters, who was fighting with head coach John Harbaugh this week. And maybe that'll wind up being a good thing for Baltimore, but I doubt it. They're not good. They have the worst pass defense in the NFL, and they're three and a half point favorites against the defending Super Bowl or the defending NFL MVP Joe Burrow. Big play potential with Jamar Chase Sunday. I think the Bengals getting three and a half in this game is one of the biggest steals early in the NFL uh, season this year. I love Cincinnati getting three and a half. The total is forty eight. I would lean over in in that scenario. I think both teams have the potential to put a lot of points on the board. Now, the Ravens have an injury or two offensively, uh, and their running backs are always hurt. God, if you're, by definition, you're a Ravens running back? Yeah, there's the trainer's room right there. Um, I, I don't know if they can hang with Cincinnati in a shootout. I don't, I don't suspect they can. Lamar Jackson may pass for 300 yards, three TDs, and rush for another 100 yards. But what's Joe Burrow going to do against this defense? Burrow's going to have a huge day. Big play potential with Chase and T. Higgins and the long-haired tight end who, whose hair dangles over his nameplate, so I, I don't really know his, his name. I don't watch the Bengals much. I don't listen to the games necessarily. I, I like having them on, even if there's nine games going at one Eastern. I like having the Bengals games on because I find their team to be fascinating and I find their offense to be very exciting but I, I might not listen to what I and Eagle and, uh, oh boy, who Charles Davis, I think, works with I and Eagle. I'm going to listen to Shalareth and, uh, and Adam Amin do Vikings and, um, and Bears on Sunday. But uh, the Bengals are, are my play of the week. I'm taking the Bengals, getting three and a half. The Ravens of years ago, man, these ain't those guys. They've lost two games this year, squandering 17-plus point leads, both at home. Their trademark has been to close. When we think of the purple and black, we think of teams that get in alley fights and win 14-10 to 10 or 20-13. to 13. You think of Lewis and Peter Boulware, Tony Saragusa, Ed Reed, Rod Woodson. Those are the rave. Terrell Suggs. 
McCrary, uh, the corner they got from uh, Arizona State, McAllister, I think. that They had studs at every position, and now they only have big names and bloated salaries. And I think the Bengals are going to kick the shit out of Baltimore on Sunday. Looking forward to that. That's a nice finish to what should be another nice week at the window. I have confidence. And I know I shouldn't because the gambling gods will crap all over your party if you chirp too much. But I feel the macker is going on a heater here real soon. It is en route. Two for two this week so far. Had the Colts and the under. And boy, give me the next under when Russell Wilson is playing quarterback. Thanks for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about the Danny Mac podcast. Would like to see more of you subscribing. So if you are a subscriber, thank you for doing so. Please tell your friends. It's free. It doesn't cost them a goddamn penny. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple, YouTube, Spotify. Makes no difference to me. But subscribe. So we uh, we let the people like Adam Delavitt at, at Bet Rivers know you are enjoying the product. Tell people about it. Hey, you've been saying you miss Mac talking about football. Guess what? That old bastard does it twice a week now. It usually drops Monday before lunch, um, the Sunday recap, and then there's usually a Thursday morning drop. But this week we're doing it today, and we will do it again on Friday next week. Because if the Washington Commanders pull off an upset this week, Ron Rivera will be coming back to Chicago, the head coach of, uh, of the Washington football team in years past. They are having a very, very difficult start to their year. And I'm not convinced that he even makes the trip to Chicago. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they don't pull the plug on him. I'm a believer in Rivera, but I'm also very, very biased because he's a friend. But Bears and Washington next Thursday night, which means we do the Friday morning drop right here at the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Sam Michael is my producer. Thank you very much for checking out the show today, and I hope you do it again Monday following the Vikings' easy cruise over the Bears at U.S. Bank Stadium. Have a great weekend, all. Y'all, I'm Danny Mack, and I'm Taillights.